Ah, uh, all right. Well, Brian, my wife uh, said you, you have something for us this morning. Come on up. Come on up. I don't like doing this. But I just want you guys to know uh, if you're out there struggling with addiction or any type of sin, that just like it was said this morning, God has the victory. Um, I was getting ready for church this morning and God showed me holding the head of the giant of Goliath, whatever, but my giant is addiction. And as much as I hate to say this or admit it, um, I had a love affair with sticking a needle in my arm. Okay, so just the fact that I'm standing here right now is a miracle. And that's a testimony. So, um, you know, whatever struggles are out there, God is here for us, and this church family is here for us, and I'm just glad to be here. Amen. Very grateful. Thank you so much. You wanna, yeah, come on, we've got another one. Jessica, welcome, Jessica. So last week, I don't know, well, you, I was at second service, so you wouldn't have seen this, but I was really a hot mess with the message he gave because that little tape recorder he had on his table played the same tape that's been playing in my head for years every single day and so I just sat in that chair and I was just and I didn't want to move because I was bleh. and the row behind me everybody's talking I'm like how can you sit in the front and talk the whole time I'm like oh, you guys are dead anyway I was I was really having issues last Sunday morning anyway and um, so I took the journey with Pastor Lyle last fall and we really went deep in, into um, some painful things that I had been through in the last 10 years. And Jesus healed a lot of that pain, but what happened last week was Jesus healed the wound that all that pain came from. So, so you know, if you have a wound or if you have, you know, all the stuff in your, oh, so what happened Tuesday evening, I got to Harp and Bowl and I realized my head was clear. There was no more of this stuff. I was like, Woo! <laughs> I was like, wow, I get my brain back to myself. So, so, you know, I mean, I know it's hard. You are so brave, you know, you know, but the thing is we have nothing to lose here and this is a safe place and Jesus loves all of us and we all love each other the same. And that's just, that's it. We don't have anything to lose except the head games and the pain and the ouch. And we, we got nothing to lose. We got nothing to lose. Jesus is good. Something, I get nervous when I talk to, in front of people. So um, just a testimony and confirmation as to what God said this morning is that he showed me this morning, um, you know, me holding out this head of the slave giant. And, you know, what the song said this morning that we're, that we're holding his head, you know. And so that's twice I heard this this morning from God. And then when Deanna came up and said, God told me you have something to share this morning, he also told me when I was getting ready that you need to get up there and say something, you know. So that's confirmation twice. I just want to let you know. God's good. God is faithful, amen. We, we also heard a testimony of one of our own. Um, they, they were going through a five and a half hour surgery at Mayo this week. And as they were being operated on, they had the soundtrack of, of worship going uh, through the whole procedure. 
And then at the end, they received a good report from the doctor, number one, which is a testimony. And then one of their uh, family members came and shared this scripture with them. They said, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great and delight in you and will rejoice over you with singing. And so they said, we started the day with praise and then we ended it with God singing over us. Amen. So many, so many good testimonies of giants coming down. Um, this morning, we've been talking about, we've been talking about giants in the land and today we're going to talk about potentially the greatest giant any of us are ever going to face. Uh, maybe the most dangerous at all. But before we get going too far this morning, let's stand, let's read the word of God together. Just got one verse for you this morning, found in Mark 8, and this is what it says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful. (laughs) We, We love to worship you. We love to be in your presence. And God, we just say you are faithful yesterday, today, and forever, God. We know that um, when we are with you, God, things change. So that's our prayer this morning. As a result of being here um, this morning with your family and in your presence, God, we don't want to walk away the same. Uh, Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being an ever-present God. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. So let's kick the devil today. (laughs) And let's kick this off. So... I'm going to share a story about a crazy group of kids on a missions trip. Now, I know that you all think that when kids are off on youth trips, that the kids are all wearing their halos the whole time. And they, they, every single one of them is praying to Jesus for every step that they take. And, um, you know, that's, that's just so you know, at Destiny Foursquare Church, that's absolutely true. <laughs> but anyhow, I, I was a junior hire. And I was going on my first missions trip to Guatemala. And it ended up being really life-changing for me and several others on the trip. Um, It was a a weird food experience for me. Um, At that time, rice wasn't on my uh, palate. I I didn't care for that. And everything was served with rice. And so I survived that uh, 10-day trip on a one-pound bag of Skittles. (laughs) I don't know if my youth worker knew that, but that's, that's how I survived, and, um, or the Holy Spirit uh, fed me with <laughs> whatever he did, uh, so, but what I want to share is a quick story about what happened on the way down to Guatemala, and um, we, we, ha- we had an overnight stay in Dallas before we crossed the border, and as we were settling down for the night in our hotel, one of the guys in the group, one of my older peers, he was a student, started asking the youth leader in our room about going and getting some snacks. I mean, and let me tell you from experience of 18 years of doing youth ministry, that's like an every night occurrence. Let's, pastor, can I have some snacks? <laughs> you know? Can we run to the snack shack? It's, like, it's open for three more minutes. And so he, he asked that. It was already really late. So the answer was no. It's already late. We don't know where to go. We don't know this town. We've, already, we've got an early morning tomorrow. So let's just get to bed. Now, shortly after, that same student starts this conversation going around about sneaking out after the youth leader falls asleep. He's got the munchies, and he wants to go on an adventure, long and short of it. And so, sounds like a great idea, right? I mean, we're in the big city at night, a bunch of teenagers from South Dakota. None of us know the area or anything about where we are. And, I mean, what could possibly go wrong? 
Uh, I, unfortunately, did not have the willpower or the self-control to make a better choice, and I followed, and I snuck out with the boys that night. And so, now we are a bunch of <laughs> South Dakota-grown boys in the big city. And absolutely none of us, we, we had no idea uh, what we were doing, but we saw a Subway restaurant sign on the other side of the freeway and decided that we could grab some soda and some chips and some you know, cookies from there and that would, that would be our fix. The only problem is we could see no way to get across. It was this eight lane freeway, uh, the interstate right there. And either way that we looked, and this is before you could just ask your phone to tell you where to go, uh, that we didn't see a way to cross. So we decided, about this group of five of us, to climb the freeway fence and go directly across. Yeah, the moms, the moms in the room are, are starting to pray right now. <laughs> so we, we made it across the freeway and over the fence on the other side. Eh, no, no problem. <laughs> It was a little scary at times, four lanes of traffic each way, and it's an interstate, so the cars were coming at us about 70 miles per hour. And, and something happened when we were crossing, too. We seemed to really anger this one certain truck of thug-looking guys who passed us and yelled nice words at us? No, there wasn't nice words. They yelled profanities at us, and they gave us the one-way sign as they drove by, and they'll, they'll be back in the story in just a little bit. But, it, but in short, this is an adventure, but definitely not something that you call and tell mom about you know, when the missions trip is over. And so we, we, we get to the subway, we purchased our things, and we started to head back. The only problem we realized when we turned around and we started looking back is that there was a big cement wall there. When we jumped over the fence on the other side, we kind of you know, get on the other side of the fence and, you, and we slid down it. The problem is getting back up over it. None of us were tall enough to even uh, scale the, the cement part of the wall to even reach the fence. So that caused a problem. <laughs> so we're there and, and we couldn't find a place to get high enough where we could even reach. So we made a group decision and we started walking. And there, there had to be you know, a bridge or a tunnel somewhere. So right, we just follow the service road and see where it takes us. So, as we were walking behind us, well, from behind us, we, we start noticing these flashing lights and we hear a honking horn. So, remember the truck? <laughs> they had turned around, I assume, at the, the next uh, service exit and, and they had been looking for us. And um, so, a couple blocks down the road, we see them and they're still saying the same nice words. And there's more of them. It's like they grew. There, there, was, there, were, there was a group of them now that were in the bed of the truck. And there was one of them that was holding a baseball bat. <laughs> and so, <laughs> now remember, I'm, I'm a junior higher. They looked more angry than ever, you know, and I could, we could see them from a long ways off. It was dark, but I, I was imagining all things in my mind, and, it, and it, we were pretty sure that they were coming right for us. And... So in reality, I mean, it felt like they were breathing down my neck, our neck, but in reality, I think they were a couple blocks away, but I, it didn't matter. I started running as fast as I had ever in my life before I started running. I started jetting. They were coming for us, and I, and I just ran. 
Anybody want to know what happens next? <laughs> we were gunning it. We were, we were running with all we had. And then, <laughs> I don't know if this was more scary than the truck chasing us, it, but it, 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 was, it was blinding. Just to the right of us, um, a police car uh, pulls out, blares their sirens, and turns on their lights. And so it was blinding, and it was almost right next to us when we were like sprinting and running. It's right next to us, and the, the sound and the lights were blaring. I just remember it feeling like, you know, that barrage of noise and light. And <laughs> I don't remember what happened to the truck behind us. All I remember is that I never saw it again after that. And they, they probably took off another direction when they saw the police lights. But the officer shone their lights on us, and we were there, and, and we were stopped in our tracks. It was incredibly blinding. Think of the, the, like the brightest light you've ever seen. It's like looking into the sun. That's kind of what it was like. And, and, and they were speaking something into the loudspeaker. <laughs> they were saying, put your hands in the air. And of course, I was like, I threw my hands up in the air. Now, not that I, that I wasn't already, but, but I was, can you imagine, I was, what's the word, freaking out. <laughs> I, I lost it. And I thought to myself, this is it. I'm never going to see mom and dad again. <laughs> Young life, I blew it. I'm going to be in a jail cell, rotting away for the rest of my life. And you, and you talk about being really afraid, which was our conversation last week. That's where I was. The giant of fear. I was really, 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 really scared. We all were. So when the officer, I kid you not, told us to put our hands on the hood and spread your legs. Because there was, there was some... Um, upperclassmen, three of the guys were upperclassmen, and then it was me and my other junior high buddy. I immediately yelled out through teary eyes at the top of my lungs the only thing I could think of to prove my innocence to the police officers. I said, We're from South Dakota! <laughs> so I thought, I thought that would, you know, prove. Um, so I, I remember my hands are on the hood and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, my eyes are flowing like a, a river. I was, I was, I was a mess. The officers were, you know, kind of patting us down and started asking, they, they were questioning the three older ones. And um, when, when they heard our story, they didn't laugh. They didn't smile, not even a little bit. But the officers began to talk about, they started talking about respect, you know, honoring those that were over us because they had our best interest in our heart. But then they began to tell us about the neighborhood that we were in. Downtown Dallas, one of them said, that truck that was chasing you down there, part of the Tango Gang. Anybody from Dallas know about the Tango Gang? It's kind of like the Crips and the Bloods in LA. And they're one of the most active and deadliest gangs in the South. And you are wearing all the wrong colors. <laughs> now, so it didn't matter if we were waving and smiling back at them. They, they, we were wearing the wrong colors and they were, coming to, they were coming to hurt you. Maybe worse. And so I was pretty sure if I, you know, the tears might have been running, but I think I was full on crying by that point. <laughs> And not sure, I have to ask one of the other guys that was there, because I was pretty much at my tipping point. And I, but I can sum up the story this way. We knew better. 
We knew better. We were youth group kids, and we were just feeling like we knew better. What's the danger in a little walk, right? We were determined. We can call the shots. You know, we were out too late in a strange place and in the dark, rewriting the rules and making up as we went along. What can happen, right? We're going to get some munchies. And some people hear that and think, man, you guys are the dumbest kids alive. <laughs> but then the, the, there's another person in the room right now who are thinking, that is, sounds like the greatest night ever. <laughs> but the rest of you are thinking, oh my word, I will pray for you more. I've been praying for you a lot. But now I'm going to pray and fast. The last seven days of the fast, I'm going to be praying for you. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're all somewhere in the story. And it's not really about being dumb. It's not really about being crazy. It's more about being human. And there's something in all of us that thinks we can figure out the best way to live life on our own. So we've talked about the giants of fear last week. Rejection, comfort, addiction, anger. We've named a bunch of them so far. And, and those giants are in our story, in the story of David and Goliath. And they were coming right up out of the text. And these giants have got to come down so that we can be free and so that God can get the glory. But here's the thing. As we come into this third round of giants going down, we're going to take a look at a giant that may be the biggest in this text because what is many times underneath the giant of fear or behind the giant of rejection or under comfort, or addiction, or anger, is another giant. And if you dig just below the surface, you start getting in touch with the real issues in our heart. And there are a lot of situations in ministry when someone will come up to Pastor Deanna or myself, and they'll say, you know, my friend has been through, and then they'll share the story, and they describe a really tough situation. And, you know, now maybe it's been a year and a half that a friend has been going through all these things, and they're still kind of in play, and there hasn't been any breakthrough, and there hasn't been any freedom, and they'll say, you know, can you recommend something for my friend? You know, can you recommend a message or a book or something that I can give to my friend? You know, and we can try to go through the options, you know, that I know about. You know, or I can say, you know what? Listen, if it's been a year and a half since this has happened, and your friend still hasn't been able to take a solid leap forward into the freedom with God, I don't think them listening to a talk from me is going to do it. <laughs> and, and I don't think a book actually is going to do it either because I'm guessing you've probably spent a few hours maybe across a cup of coffee pouring out pretty much everything you know. And, you know, a lot of times a person will say, yes, you know, we've been praying. We've been, we've been you know, praying together with them. You know, this is, this is my brother. We've been, we've been going after it. And they'll say, Yeah. Well, I bet your circle of friends have been and pouring in every kind of truth and every kind of prayer into the moment. They respond, yeah, we've all been leaning in. Maybe for about 18 months, we've been leaning in, we've been praying. So then it's time to go below the surface of the circumstances because a lot of time the conversation is, is about what's happened and not about, you know, it's not about what happened. It's about what's below the surface in this person's heart that's not allowing them to move forward from what happened into the freedom that God has for them. And so it's not about hey, you know, addiction is my problem. And that's the deal. If I can just get rid of addiction, then I'm going to live a free life. But maybe it's a root of bitterness. 
in your heart that goes even a little bit deeper and you, can, you, can, you can't figure out how to solve the root of bitter, bitterness. And maybe underneath that is anger and something else underneath that. And we've got to dig down just a little bit to see the giant that we're stuck up against. And I don't know if you know what's under there, but let's try to get down there so we can see it. It could possibly be the giant that's trying to take you out. And it's underneath about everything that we struggle with. And digging is a lot harder, by the way, than we think sometimes. You got to dig and you can't just go, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in freedom. You got to dig a little deeper than that. Our lives are complex. You know, I'm going to pull out a Bible verse. I've got it written down on my journal. You got to dig a little deeper than that. We've got to let God peel off some layers and you have to actually put some energy and some effort into being free. The giant that I believe is maybe the biggest one of all and the most deadly is this one. It's looking back at you in the mirror. It's called the giant of self, and self must fall. Self must fall. Because underneath it all, there's somebody that you get the most advice from. And you know who it is, anyone? There's someone that you spend the most time with. And that would be you. So even if you're not a you know, a, a people person, there's a, there's a time, or if you are a people person, there's a time where you shut the door and you're not around people. But guess who's still around? <laughs> you are the person that you talk to the most. Whether you want to say that out loud or not, it's you. You see things through the lens of your view of the world, good or bad, and your view of your worth is informed most often by you. It's primarily you. So we're in love with the phrase, I think. You know, a situation comes up, a conversation emerges, there's some debate or some discussion, and we love to enter into that moment with, well, having heard all of that, I think, right? We even say to God, I hear what you're saying, but let me tell you what I think. And at the end of the day, we're crossing interstate highways at the wee morning hours by foot, convinced that somehow it's all good. And at the end of the day, we'll have a cool story to tell. But on the backside of all of this is something called self. And self can take us down. We, we even have a phrase in our culture that affirms this. And if you know it, fill in the blanks. We say it all the time. I can be my own worst enemy. You've heard that before? You ever say that? You're your own worst enemy. What are we saying? You're the giant standing in the valley. <sighs> yeah, there, there might be fear. There's rejection. There's stuff there. There's issues and circumstances. But we can be the giant standing in the valley. You can sometimes be your own worst enemy. You're not fighting Goliath. You're fighting you. And until you can figure out how to let the giant slayer named Jesus give your victory over yourself, and let me just say, let me just say this, we're not demeaning ourself. We're not demeaning ourself, and we're, we're actually lifting up self. We're made in the image of God, amen? We're precious in his sight. We're loved by Almighty. We've, we've got his divinity woven into our very spirit. We're stamped with his image at creation. But here's the thing. There's also something wrong inside of us. It's our flesh. It's that sin nature. And so that sin wants us, 
wants to exalt us to a place where God never intended. And so that sin wants to elevate us to a way of thinking that God never intended for us to be elevated to. And so we need a rescue in our lives from ourselves. So back to the story in Dallas. The police, the lights are flashing, they finish questioning us, they see the fear in my eyes, <laughs> and they believe our story. And so they tried calling the hotel, uh-oh, right? They tried calling the hotel and the front desk tried our room, but no answer. So we're thinking, oh man, they're out looking for us. This is the great start to this trip, right? Then the officers start talking to us about how to get back to the hotel. One officer was kind of arguing with the other officer, you know, should they throw us all in the back of the, of the, the, the cab? They only had three seats back there. There was five of us. They decided they couldn't do that. Um, and I guess they were short on patrol cars as well. They were calling other people, and there, there was a big event going on. There just wasn't anybody available to take, you know, some five junior hires, well, two junior hires, three senior hires, you know, across the highway. It wasn't a priority. We weren't a priority. <laughs> but they said, so we're not supposed to leave this neighborhood, but here's what we'll do. You guys, you guys have put yourself, let me tell you, in a very bad situation. And so we're going to patrol slowly and we want you to follow us. You, you just walk behind us and as you do, as you follow us, we'll lead you back to the cross street and point you in the right direction, make sure you get back to your place, okay? So that was their compromise. And I, I kind of wonder now, thinking back, that maybe they were just trying to teach us a lesson. <laughs> you know, it, it seems like a couple of car rides would have been easy enough, you know? But um, I wonder if they wanted us to walk around in the hood to put the fear of God <laughs> into us. I kind of thought of my, you know, I, I just, I just kind of wondered, you know, to see the folly, to see the foolishness, because as we're walking around, man, I was just shaking in my booties. And, you know, we, we walked behind that patrol car for what seemed to me like half the night. I mean, it seemed to go on, it felt like miles. And we were walking behind them and the, the amount of turns that they made, it felt, like, it felt like we were just not going in the right direction. Um, but soon enough, we were walking under the freeway and when we made the turn, we could see the sign for our hotel from the intersection. The officer said, we'll, we'll stay here until you know, we see that you made it. And I, I kind of wish, you know, I had pictures to show you from the night, because if you'll remember from maybe from some other stories I've told, I thought of myself as kind of a homeboy at that time. I was in a hip-hop group, and um, I wore, does anybody remember cross-colors clothing? I wore some cross-colors clothing, and, 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 and I had my hat flipped backwards most of the time at that time. My friends wore their pants all sagging down. That didn't work for me so well, because I was a toothpick. But um, one of the older guys in the group wasn't even wearing a shirt. We kind of looked like thugs ourselves. And we were so into playing, you know, that part. And I, and I can tell you, though, in that 30-minute walk is probably what it was. It felt like 30 hours um, that I never felt less thug in my life. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. You know, I'd been crying. I was humbled. And long story short, the adult leaders on our trip never found out. Now, I've been telling this story as a youth pastor for, for years. Um, uh, it's, it's a fun story to tell. Um, Big Al was our, was our leader's name. Now, I remember, there's some things I remember about Big Al. Number one, he was a giant. He was a literal, he's, he towered over me. I was 6'2", and he was bigger than me. Um, he was a vacuum salesman for his day job. And number three, he was a very, very heavy sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> 
we walked into our hotel room at whatever a.m. hour that it was, and Big Al had slept right through the police phone calls, slept right through us leaving the room, slept right through us walking back in. There was another story. This is for, I mean, I'll tell this another story another day, but there was one night where he was sleeping and we were in somebody's basement. We were throwing Oreo cookies at him in his sleep and he did not wake up. <laughs> there was also paste on his leg to make the Oreo cookie stick. It was a fun night. But, so... We slipped into our beds and he never knew what happened. Our parents never knew what happened. In fact, I've been telling this story in youth group for all these years, but this might be the first time that dad's heard the story. Is he here this morning for a service? Is he here? Yeah, yeah. Have you heard that story before? No? <laughs> so sorry about that, dad. <laughs> like I said, there's some things you just don't tell mom and dad. My old youth pastor might be getting a call later today, so maybe lift her up in prayer. <laughs> but the, the reason that I share this story, I think it's a little bit like a modern day version of Jesus' invitation to be his follower. In Mark 8, we read this earlier, he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So there's gonna be a moment for us where we went our way and our way is not working. And we reach a spot where we can either go down that way, away from the truck with gang members that want to hurt and possibly kill us, and see how that goes. Or we could turn around and do our best to try to scale the wall that's too high for us. Go all the way back to where we came from, but that doesn't seem feasible. We couldn't figure that out. We burned some bridges there. Or we can try to find our own way back, that we have no clue where we are at. We don't know the neighborhood, we don't know how dangerous it is, or even how to do that. If it was a straight line, maybe, but it wasn't. Or we can learn to trust that, those guys in the uniforms, that they know that where they're going. And if we follow them, if we hook onto that license plate and follow them, and all we had to do was walk, then they're gonna lead us back to safety. And Jesus said, if you want to be a disciple of mine, if you want to follow me, this is how he says it in another gospel. He says, then deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, I will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So skipping to verse 38 back in Mark, it says, if anyone is ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father glory, Father's glory with the holy angels. So what is it that would keep us from being disciples of Jesus? Is it going to be, you know, a professor at the university who doesn't believe in the Bible? In the next job season you go and somebody says, well, I didn't grow up in the church, so I don't believe all that stuff that you believe. Is that going to keep you from being a follower? Is, is it going to be some kids that say, some, some friends that say, look, man, we have some freedom here. How, how many of you ever been teenagers and say, there's no parents around, there's no accountability, so we can just do whatever we want? Maybe it's no accountability. Is that what's going to keep you from being a follower? 
No, what's going to keep you from being a follower of Jesus is ourself. It's not going to be circumstances. It's not going to be situations. It's going to be us. Jesus said the hurdle that you've got to get over, number one, you've got to deny yourself and you've got to realize that your giant is the guy in the mirror. That doesn't mean that you're not loved of God, that you're not valuable, that you're not amazing, that you're not prized, you're not sought after. It simply means that you have a self-flaw in you. You have a disease called sin, and sin makes you want to exalt yourself to a place higher than God ever intended, to think in a way that's higher than God ever intended, and to exalt ourselves. And thinking like that will cause us to miss out on the freedom and the life and the gift that comes from Jesus. Self-power keeps us from the freedom of Jesus. Self-doubt or even self-competence. You know, things like, I can do this. I can handle it. I can manage. I can run this. I can figure life out on my own. I can figure out which way to go. Then there's this self-hate also that keeps us from following Jesus. Some of you, it's not that you love yourself too much. It's that you hate yourself too much. And you're standing in the way of God's opinion of you. And the thing that's keeping you from living in the love and the grace of God is you saying, I think above what God says. It's self-sustaining, self-driven, self-exaltation that's getting in the way. And it's been that way from the beginning. First John 2 says this. He said, do not love the world or anything in the world, because if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. He describes three things here that we can get in the world. And he says, there are three things driving the world system. The system that says you can do it, you can figure it out, you can make it work, you can get it all if you just try hard enough. He said that system operates on three things. It operates on number one, on the lust of the flesh. That's our flesh craving what it wants. And, and right now that system operates on the lust of the eyes. We'll look around, we see what everybody else has got, and all of a sudden we're not happy with what we have. And then he said the third thing that operates out of the system is the boastful pride of self. It's me boasting in what I can do and what I've got. And that's what took Adam and Eve out, by the way. If you remember that, there was those three things. They saw the fruit, that's the lust of the eyes. They wanted the fruit, that was the lust of the flesh. And then the enemy said, and when you eat the fruit, you're going to be as smart as God. You're going to be exalted, right? You're going to be exalted to the place of God. So something inside of them wanted to be exalted to the place of God. So it was the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and that was the lust of, of boastful pride of life. And it took them out of the story of God. Now, he overreached all of their foolishness, amen, with his goodness and with his grace. And he does that in your life. And he does that in my life. But it took them out of the paradise that God had put them in. So listen, God is willing to give the very best to you. And self will always leave you with less. Christ will always give you more. That's why somebody, I hope somebody's with me, self must fall. Self must fall. For your freedom's sake and for his glory's sake, self must fall fall. So let's go back to David and Goliath. We were, we've been in this story um, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the valley of Elah, 15 years old. 15 years old is how old David was. Think about that. 15 years old. David walks into that valley and he kills Goliath. He kills the giant. 15 years old. By the, but the timeline of, of David's life is pretty interesting. Not too long after that, 
He gets elevated to the position of king, right? He becomes the ruler of Israel. He reunites Judah and Israel into one unified country. He reestablishes Jerusalem as a center place of worship. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of God. He sets up the rule and reign and eventually builds himself a palace in Jerusalem. And then when we fast forward from 1 Samuel 17 to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find this really interesting story. We visited this one briefly when we were in the Fight Club series. Some of you will remember this. And it says, in the springtime, in the spring, at the time when the kings were off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But uh, David remained in Jerusalem. So we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the wolf, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone out to find her, to find out about her. So, <laughs> sending someone out to find out about her. That's, some things don't change. Because some of, some of us in the room have done the very same thing, right? Ladies are asking, who's the new guy in the office? Or the guys are asking, what's the name of that girl that just transferred to our school, right? And we know how to sort of put the feelers out. And we see something here in David's case. He already knew that he wanted something. And he was in a position of power. And in his own pride, he knew that he could have anything that he wanted. And so he sent one of his guys to go find out who that woman is. And the person who came back was sent, I believe, in the power of God and the wisdom of God to try to keep David from going off of the rails. Because listen to his reply. He didn't come back and say, oh, you're talking about Bathsheba. She's hot. <laughs> no. The answer here is going to tell you, by the way, whether you're running with the right people or not. Because right off the bat, this guy's answer, oh, she's hot. No, he doesn't say that. This guy's answer was a divine lifeline to David. He said, isn't this Bathsheba? You always want to answer the question, you know, when you're trying to help people. Let me help you out a little bit. Isn't this Bathsheba? You don't want to, you know, stick a rifle down their throat and scream it down. You want to somehow gently help them come, you know, out of the low and see what God wants to do in the heights, right? That's what this guy's trying to do. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Ahem, and the wife, the wife, the wife, <laughs> the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? That's a lifeline from heaven, and it's somebody's daughter, and it's somebody's wife. That's who it is that you're thinking about right now. And David, middle of the night, crossing the freeway, Climbing fences blew right past it. He can't be bothered to stop. He sent messages, messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. And it says, the woman conceived and sent a word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David is scrambling now. He sent a servant to the battle lines and he said, get Uriah. We're going to um, put him on furlough because he's fought so hard right? So they go and they say to him, Uriah, you've done a great job. The king appreciates your service. He thinks, uh, you know, a couple days at home would really do you some good. So go home to your wife, eat a meal, you know, enjoy your family and, you know, hope you and Bathsheba have a nice reunion, right? He's, 
he, he sends him home hoping that they will sleep together and the timing will work out and Uriah will never know that it's David's kid. And so then, when that doesn't work out, so he brings him back and he gives him more to drink and on the next occasion he sends him home again. He still doesn't do it. So David has to organize sending him back to the battle and has him killed. Our David, our 15-year-old I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, our David. At 15 years old, he takes out Goliath, but at 45 years old now, that the timeline is wound down, the giant takes out David. And it takes him out because of the giant called self. You see, David had giants. You know, was he up in the middle of the night? Why was, why was he up in the middle of the night? You, you ever read through the Psalms? You know, because he was fearful. Remember those verses? He was anxious. He, was, he had some depression. He was worried. We see a lot of that in the Psalms. He's up in the middle of the night trying to figure out how to get back to sleep. He's walking around, and he sees a woman bathing in comfort because he just built a giant house for himself. And he could pretty much hang from back from the battle if he chooses. That was actually allowed in the culture. Once you've built a home, a new home for your family, then you can take some time away from the battle. So that's, and that's what, it, what's, what it's going to give you and me. You know, if, if we don't, this is where he's at. He had the right, legally, to spend some time at home in his palace. And we know that he had, taken a bunch of wives eventually, right? He ended up in scripture with eight wives that we know of. And we know that he had some re rejection problems that he might not have completely dealt with underneath there. And over time, he accommodated self to the point where self took him out in the middle of the night. And it can do the very same thing and it does the very same thing to you and me. David didn't get more that night. David did not get more that night. Say out self gave David less. And that's what it's going to give you and me if we don't figure out how to let Jesus' victory lead us to freedom. To take down the giant of self. And how does this happen? Let's get back to Jesus and his three phrases in Mark 8. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So step one, first thing out of the gate, you have to deny yourself. So you and I have to personally take up the responsibility for saying no to the sinful desires inside of us to rise up to places that God didn't intend us to rise up, places where we think we can figure it all out and we can make it work and somehow we're above all the rules of nature and the word of God and we get in a place where we want to call the shots. And he said, you've got to, if you want to follow me and be my disciples, you're going to have to take on yourself. And the Greek word he uses here is a double negation of self that really says you're going to have to get away from the self that you're denying, is how it's said. So it's kind of, it's, this is the kind of spirit Uriah had, by the way. Uriah showed us when David was taken down by self, Uriah showed us what it looks like to rise up and to fight against self. I want you to catch this. Uriah went home at his king's instruction, but do you know what he did that night when he got home? You know what he did? He slept in the doorway of his house. He didn't even go into his house. And the next day, David is so mad. 
And he comes to him and he said, what is, you know, what are you doing? And you know what Uriah says? You keep on reading down in the chapter. He says, here's what I'm doing. My men are fighting in a battle for our country. And I am not going to take it easy in my home with my wife. Thank you for the opportunity, my king. And thank you for sending me home tonight. But I don't need to sleep. I'm going to be on this doorstep tonight because I'm not going to allow myself to go into that zone when there is a war going on. So this, that's the guy who, in the power of God, under the leadership of King David, was able to say no, no, no. Did he want to go in? My guess, absolutely. Did his flesh want in? Absolutely. Could, could he see it? I, I think he could probably see through the door or the window, yes. Was there something about him that thought, you know, I can have this tonight. I can have it even legally, but it isn't the best choice for me. And he said, no way I'm doing that. And we've got to hear Jesus say that to us today. By the grace of God and by the power of Holy Spirit in us that we'll talk a lot more about next week. Next week we're going to talk about how to put our flesh to death. And so maybe part four of Giants Going Down the series should be the biggest attendance ever in the history of destiny, how to cru crucify the flesh and all the sinful desires. Next week, let's just get people lined up around the block. How about we do that? But you've, you've got to rise up at some point and stop blaming the giants. And stop blaming circumstances. And look in the mirror and say, in the power of God Almighty, by the power of your Holy Spirit in me, I've got to take on the heart of me. The second thing Jesus said is to take up your cross. Now, now Jesus likes to put a negative and a positive together. So he says, deny your desires, but the way that you deny yourself and take down the giant of self is by lifting up the mission of me, the mission of Jesus. And he said, you've got to deny yourself, he says, but take up my cross. So what, what did he mean by that? He was, was he just saying, you know, watch me, guys. Just watch what's going to happen in the next few days. You're going you're gonna to see me take up my cross. Because honestly, he's, he's the only one that could take up his cross, right? No, not one single could, person could do that for him. He did that. He, he took on death and hell in the grave. And do you know how he did it? He did it by denying himself. You think about that? He knelt down in the garden of Gethsemane and he said, God, if there's any way that's possible. Remember that? If there's any way that's possible to save people and free them from themselves and please tell me how. And then he uttered those words which are, which are the game-changing words of history. What did he say? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Not self. But your purpose, your kingdom, your plan, your salvation, and he took up his cross. And so he says, so how do you become a follower? You have to come the same way that I came. You have to kneel down somewhere and at some time. In fact, Luke adds to it and he says, take up your cross every day. Every day. Luke lets us know that this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't like the, the winter weekend retreat. This isn't a summer camp decision. This isn't, oh, I graduated from high school and I made a decision. I'm going to, you know, really yield my life to God now. Every day, take up your cross. 
Every time that you look in the mirror, every time you wake up, every time that you're in a situation, every time you're in a circumstance, you've got to say, wait a minute, one more time. Today, I'm going to take up my cross, Jesus. And I'm, and I'm not taking up Jesus' cross. You did that for me. But listen, nobody, nobody else can take up your cross. And you can't take up anybody else's. You alone can take up your cross. So what does that mean again? It means that you say, in your garden of Gethsemane, you say, God, I'm telling you, however it goes today, however it goes, I want your will and not mine. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough to figure this out. So I surrender. I submit. I yield my life, my will. I yield my way. I humble myself. I confess my pride. And it's a sneaky pride, God. Because it gets in there and all of a sudden, before I know it, I want control, but I want to give it to you. Because if I take it, Lord, I know I'm going to be crossing a freeway in the middle of the night. I want to put my eyes on your bumper instead. And I want to follow you. I'm going to follow you. I want to take up my cross today. And the last thing, or no, what, what, what does it mean? One more time. It, it, taking up your cross means this on your notes. It means taking up the mission and the mentality of Jesus. You find somebody who's not on a mission with Jesus to, to, you know, to bring the kingdom of God to planet earth, and I promise you, you don't have to look 18 seconds to see somebody driven by self. But if you find somebody who is breathing in God's kingdom purposes, they have the upper hand in staying the course and staying connected in humility to the God of the universe. It's a mindset that says, when Christ died, I died. And when he rose, I rose. So I consider myself dead to me, but alive in Jesus. Paul wrote in... Colossians 3, and I am hidden with Christ in God. We've got too many people walking around going, you know, Christ gave his life for me, and that's awesome, and I love it, and I love him, but now I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. Christ gave it all for me, but I'll tell you what, I'm not willing to give it all up for him yet. And there is no gospel that reads that way that I can find in scripture there's no such kingdom as that that's a lie and it comes from the father of lies and it might be the biggest lie of all just take the gospel and live how you want it doesn't work like that Jesus said if you want to be a disciple here's how it works you've got to put the finger in the face of you through the power of the Holy Spirit and you've got to take up the mission of Jesus and you take up the mindset of Christ which means for me to be alive I've got to be dead For me to rise with him, I've got to die with him. For me to be in the victory of Christ, I'm going to go down in the death with Christ. And that mindset has to be the heart and the soul of every believer. But I'm alive in Jesus. So in the third thing he said, which is really interesting, is this. If anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves. They must take up their cross. And then he says, and follow me. I love that. When Jesus says stuff like this, I love it. He says, you have to follow me. Wow. So here's the question. What is the gap in how many times that we have said, I want to follow you, Jesus, and then we just never did? And I'm inviting you right now 
to put your sights on the bumper of Jesus. Brent, you can come on up. He's the police car <laughs> that's leading us back to the hotel. Why don't you stand with me? And you don't even need to know where he's going. You don't need to worry about what neighborhood he's going through. You just keep your eyes on his bumper because he knows where he's going. And it's not about just saying, you know, I want to be a follower. I want to be a disciple. I want to be involved in what God's doing in the world. I want to be in the kingdom. At some point, we actually have to follow him. And let me tell you something, just from my experience, it's going to be a wild and crazy ride. <laughs> but it's going to be the rest ride that you've taken in your life. You know, you might want to hold on, or you might just want to put your hands up in the air for the roller coaster ride. <laughs> and get ready, because his plans are better than yours. It's amazing to go through and mine some truth and some insight and an observation to share or that you can take to a friend. But if we don't walk out the truth that we learn in here or in our personal time with God and apply it to our lives, we're stopping too early on the journey. The journey of following the king of the universe through the world. Following his taillights. Full purpose ahead. How's that? Full purpose ahead. All the way back home. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father God, we can't say enough how much you mean to us. God, I pray. Lord, all these testimonies of giants coming down, Lord, that you'd help us take on what may be the biggest giant in some of our lives. I know it is in mine. And help us take a look at ourselves, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. Remind us that you've already claimed the victory. And you've claimed it in our name. So there's some wisdom and there's some truth. There's a reason that you said, take up your cross daily. God, it's so easy for us to get off, get our sights on a giant. So to get our sights on ourself. It's so easy for us to think that we have the better way. So let our lives be a soundtrack of worship. Let our sights go higher than ourselves. Let our sights go higher than the giants in the land. And may we set our eyes on you, your mighty name. Amen. If you're here this morning with nobody looking around, this is a personal decision, but you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I've done things my own way for a long time. And I want to grab a hold of the hand of Jesus this morning. You're talking about somebody that is faithful forever, yesterday, today, forever. 
I need that kind of somebody in my life. And I need somebody to lead the way. I need some taillights to follow after. If that's you, and you're saying, this is the morning, Holy Spirit's been speaking to me. Would you just raise your hand with nobody looking around? Raise your hand up high so I can see it. Look up at me. Praise God. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father God. Father God. We thank you for life in you. Thank you. We thank you for your purpose. We thank you for your direction. For your truth in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross. And taking care of all my sin. For me. My life is fully surrendered. And maybe re-surrendered this morning if you've done it before <laughs> to you in your mighty name I pray amen come on let's go all in come on somebody let's celebrate this morning thank you Jesus there are gonna let me just say this we're gonna continue to hear testimonies of giants going down amen Altar team, you can come on up. We're going to continue to hear stories of giants falling down because they cannot stand. They do not have the right to stand when we take up Jesus as our Lord and Savior and stand on the truth that he has for us. Amen.